Hello, uh, welcome to Anime Echoes. We'll be going through the prologue and the seventh verse of the ninth novel for Boogie Pop called Boogie Pop Wicked Embryo Eruption. In the prologue, we get a lot of interesting tidbits. I'm pretty sure it's touching on some really like major themes um, and they're at like the forefront of the novel. So we get a past interaction between Kyonisan and Akiko when she was small. Akiko saying that she wants to die. Kyo asks her how she would how would she do it? If she's taking away her life, she can't just do it half-heartedly. This is because someone's life or being born is nothing short of a miracle. Life itself is a miracle. If you want to oppose that miracle, then you need to show another miracle. He asks her the question, what is it that you want? It's implied that what you want is tied to the other miracle you need to show. He says that most people shut away what they want inside their heart. They don't express it out loud or at all, really. He says that she should wait until she has found her miracle. Though I think it's implied that she never really found the miracle or went after what she wants. It does say that eight years later, Kyo would die and Akika would, would lose sight of herself by then. What it means to lose sight of oneself in this context feels like giving up on that miracle that's inside your heart. Giving up on what you want. It seems like that um, Kyo has his own power. Something similar to the embryo where he can pave the way for people to kind of get what they want. He can break their shell, unlock their potential. I get the feeling that breaking people out of their shell uh, might be getting in touch with what people actually want, with what their hearts authentically desire. Maybe this idea also ties into Turu trying to find his own path. Like if we go based on the assumption that Turu's shell breaking by this current version of the embryo is actually him going down the wrong path, then perhaps Turu needs to get in touch with his authentic heart and in effect, get in touch with what he actually really wants, which is, in effect, what path should he go on? Like, that might be the solution. So could the current iteration of the embryo actually be creating a scenario where it feels like you're accomplishing your desires by having these newfound abilities, but in fact it's just a false heart, that you're just deluding yourself and just focusing on your new powers? When Toru says that he accomplished his goal, maybe he didn't. Maybe he's not actually in touch with what he wants deep down. Like, what does it mean to become a samurai for him? What does he actually want? Now back to Kyo in the past when Akika was also little. So Kyo wants to die. And what he wants deep down is to meet someone like Boogie Pop that would tell him that all his worries were for nothing. He could then die in peace. But someone, I'm pretty sure this is Momoda based on the sixth novel, copies his brainwaves and I'm pretty sure this is how Embryo was created. Embryo does call himself an artificial wave. It's because he's just a copy of Kyo's brainwaves. Anyhow, Kyo is pretty disappointed in who comes to kill him. He wanted a Shinigami, not some random normal looking guy. But he does say something interesting to his killer. He's effectively what he says. There's a bug inside of you, and that it's eating you up inside, and that it will determine your fate. Now this bug that's inside people, is this bug what people truly want, deep down in their hearts, like what their hearts respond to, and not getting in touch with it will eat you up? It says that the bug will determine the fate though, so maybe your desires and wants will determine your fate as well. It's also said that um, one dreams of things that they can achieve, which is basically your wants and desires, but no one knows what the form is. 
So interestingly here, uh, what he's saying is that the way we truly um, achieve what we want is foreign to even us. Like it's something that we can't really recognize initially. I do wonder if this is because people lose sight of what they want really early on. And because of that, it's a surprise if they ever get in touch with what they want. Um, Or if they're talking about the idea of people not knowing what they truly want deep down. And then because of that, it ends up being a surprise. Either way, the one thing I feel like the author is contending is that trying to find out what you want, regardless of how it comes about, is important. And that it's also a miracle and representative of the miracle that is your existence. Now, moving on to verse 7, um, we do hear that Masaki is in pretty bad condition, blood oozing out of his points of injury. He's, he's pretty messed up. Now, Akiko is worried about Chori's situation, and eventually she goes to a place to hide. All the way in the mountains, actually. When she looks down, she sees a beetle, and she can see its life force, as she can tell that it's about to die. She could have helped it live, but she doesn't. She wonders if there's any point in her interrupting the natural sequence of life, if bringing back someone who's going to die is actually saving them. At the end of this section, she does end up meeting an old lady who's about to die, so maybe in the next part, she'll have to contend with this question again. She is slightly horrified she's having these questions to begin with, though. She fled to the mountains because she feels out of place with her new reviving abilities, right, or her abilities to see life. I guess in some ways, it doesn't feel authentic to her. And she can't even help a beetle because it uses her life force as well. So if she she does do it too much, like who knows what the repercussions could be. Now the embryo does say that she could evolve and that she could have an easier time with her powers if she just killed him. If she kills him, then her transformation can truly be complete. She could have a concrete power for herself. But once again, Akiko doesn't want to kill the embryo. She sees him as something valuable in of itself. But embryo says that he's just a copy and or a wave. As mentioned before, um, he just thinks he's just a copy, like not something real or authentic or worth preserving. He's just been patiently waiting for others to hear his voice. Despite his complete lack of care about his own life and existence, he does seem pained at the fact that Sidewinder died. Akiko even calls him out on it. So despite this embryo acting like his life has no value, or just being a copy, he's showcasing sides of himself that feel human, that he has emotions, really showcasing that despite the embryo being a copy, it's also alive fully. Akiko even says that he's like an old friend falling to pieces, which makes sense with the embryo most likely being copied from Kyo's brainwaves. She does say later on that if the circumstances were different, she would even be enjoying herself. So yeah, the entire interaction between Embryo and Akiko is a good one. It starts off a little slow, but then it really picks up when we focus on the beetle and we get a bit more conceptual. I think Embryo really brings the um, conversations to life. I think we can see Akiko's point of view that the Embryo has value in of itself, and they have really good dialogue too. They really do sound like good friends, The dialogue that Kodona puts into his novels is always 10 out of 10, and I feel like this is no different. So yeah, good um, good scene overall. Um, I'm really trying to figure out what's authentic and what isn't in the story. Like right now, I feel like the embryo itself is an authentic being, um, but the transformation it gives to others is perhaps inauthentic. When I say inauthentic slash authentic, I mean for each person's heart, and also the embryo's heart as well. 
But yeah, now let's um let's move on to Fortissimo, Pearl and like Hiroshi's section. So Fortissimo seems to be really rich. Like the place they're staying at has like a lot of fancy stuff. Like great carpets, huge TV, chandelier, all of that. You can tell that Fortissimo is rich as fuck, or at least has access to a lot of rich facilities, like because of his name or something. One of the two. Now I love this scene more than the Akika slash Embryo stuff because there was a tenseness in the scene. It wasn't super tense, but as I said before in the previous podcast episode for Volume 8, Pearl being like right next to Fortissimo would make for some great like drama and like some tense slash fun dynamic. Fortissimo asks her pressing questions like if she, so Akiko, likes Toru, what she thinks about him and things like that, and like like painting kind of questions um, or very specific questions that Pearl needs to make sure she comes up with a good answer to now that she's taken over Akiko's appearance. Pearl very skillfully acts the part and having Hiroshi to bounce off also like helps her out a lot. I do think this scene reveals much about Fortismo's emotional state at this point in time, that he's very disappointed in Toru and just sees him as someone who's just running from reality, that he doesn't see how weak he really is. He did best him easily, so we can understand why he feels that way. It was cool seeing um, Hiroshi like back up Toru and say that he's a samurai kind of in his defense. Fortismo does try to discount it though. He, um, he actually explained something really fascinating that could also have implications about his character, like big implications. He says things like Bushido for the samurai and chivalry for knights were things that we created after the fact, like something we did to idealize the past. The samurai back in the day or the knights back in the day might have just been people or like people who killed people, like nothing holy about them. They were just products of their time. It's actually implied that this interesting perspective slash perception is actually from his own experience, that he might have actually been alive back then. I do wonder if that's true. Maybe it's not. I I think you can have that opinion regardless of having been there, but you'd just be having that opinion without much evidence, I guess. Unless you ask like a historian or something, and they show you all the evidence for that time. Anyhow, this was a really great scene, I said before, like just really interesting and we learned like a lot as well. And once again, the dialogue is really, really good. Now, lastly, let's jump to Toru. His right eye is gone and blood is trickling down. He's not eating either. The police have this interesting discussion focusing on what's going through Toru's mind. This is a fun way for us, like the readers, to also try to understand Toru from a third person, like objective view. Essentially, one of the policemen doesn't think that Toru's out of it. They actually think he's visualizing his next attack to his opponent. And they're not too far off, at least in intent. Despite Masaki being bedridden, Toru seems to not be able to set himself apart from his loss to Fortismo. He wants to fight him again. But he's wondering if there's any meaning in doing that. Is he being egotistical and shameful? Well, we'll have to see. So yeah, it's a, it's a good scene to end off. And I also have to wonder, like, is he being egotistical for wanting to beat Fortismo? Is it just petty revenge, or is it about proving himself? And does that actually matter? Is this what happens when you don't have a clear win or loss, like Jen said? You're drawn into the never-ending bout for violence. The fighting never ends because now he's using the sword. There's no clear win or loss, and so the fight is never over. Not until the enemy is dead. Is that what's going on here? Is that what that's part of that story was referencing as well. I think this is the case actually. Open to it being wrong, but I'm also placed my foot down on it. 
and I'm keen to see if the next verse goes against it. But yeah, overall, the prologue and the seventh verse were really, really good. The ninth novel is shaping up to be like a really good one, and I like that we're immediately jumping into the like the mental states of multiple char- characters, including the embryo. Keen to see what happens next, and uh, once again, I want to thank the Threats to the World team for their translation, and please leave a comment or a like, that would be greatly appreciated. Follow me on Anime Echoes on Twitter for updates or Boogie Pop art, and I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening.